Ion 2020, episode 215. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead-up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host of Ion 2020. Thank you for joining me for another day. In the 2020 election, as we move forward to November 2020, I'll be putting out this show Monday through Friday for you just to make sure that you are up to speed and up to date on all the current events of the 2020 election. Man, I have, forgive me, but I have a little bit of a cold today. I think I got the flu, actually. But my wife always tells me this. This is her motto, I guess. Takes the medicine and power through it, and that's what I've been doing for about the last couple of days. And uh, that's what I'm doing today. But if I sound a little bit... Uh, stuffed up if I sound a little bit froggy or anything like that it's just because of that so uh but I appreciate you sticking with me of course hey man I have a couple of uh really nice topics to cover today and I hope you liked the episode yesterday I was uh I was just trying to find some information on different libertarian candidates and someone reached out to me and I just thought it would be nice to share those libertarian candidates with you I'll actually be doing another show soon on another libertarian candidate that someone sent me some information on as well so um, stay tuned for that one as well. I want to do a little bit more research and everything. Uh, if I'm going to talk about, if I'm going to be able to get off a topic of the, uh, Democrats and the Republicans, I want to make sure that I'm putting together some really good shows for you on some of these libertarian candidates as well. I think it's important because we are the third party and we are, I mean, we're about the only third party that has 50 state, 50 states that are going to be, uh, that we're going to be on the ballot on 50 state ballot access. I think the green party has like 38 39 states or something like that with ballot access but uh, libertarians definitely have the ballot access and you know give these candidates the respect they deserve if they're gonna be running as libertarians of course um you know there's not a lot of libertarians out there in america but i think there's i don't know i think there's a couple hundred thousand or so that are uh registered libertarians and then you have people that are actually members of the libertarian party as well a few thousand maybe like five or six thousand it might be more than and i'm not sure but uh that's a i mean the the movement is definitely growing and i don't know if you guys feel the same way about it as i do but i mean when i first became a libertarian back around uh 1999 or so i i don't know if you ever heard my story before if you want to listen to this previous episodes but i'll tell you a little bit about what happened when i was going to college down in florida uh one of my professors it was like my freshman year and i was taking an economics class i think it, it was definitely an economics class but i think it was like my first year in in college and uh just taking a general economics course right economics 101 essentially macro it was macroeconomics even and the professor there wrote his own book and he was a libertarian and i didn't know what a libertarian was uh, I just knew that I, you know, liked to be left alone and everything, and it really spoke to me. I was doing that class along with another uh, ethics class at the time, and they were talking about Ayn, Ayn Rand and talking about uh, her philosophy and all, and that kind of resonated with me as well, and I've kind of gotten away from the Ayn Rand philosophy of, uh, I don't know, what do they call it, like the virtue of selfishness or whatever, but... I definitely have embraced libertarian from that day forward, and 
you know, you get away from it and so forth. And I mean, I, I never got really political by any means. I think I was a half-hearted libertarian. I always said I was libertarian, but I was kind of like a half-hearted libertarian for a while until about 2011 or so um, when I really started to look way deeper into the ideas of liberty and so forth. And that's when I started to change my views and just really became more passionate about libertarianism. So that's where I am today. And I think that being a party that's been able to really get ballot access, like that's something that a lot of people have worked very hard to get to. And when we have candidates running, we definitely need to give them the respect because they are going to be taking on the mantle of that party. So I'm going to make sure that when I'm doing these, uh, these conversations about these candidates and stuff like that, I'm definitely going to do as much as I can to do like good research on them and let you guys know what's really going on. Okay. Um, the main thing is, is I apologize. I'm trying to figure out how to do like interviews and stuff like that. Uh, I am definitely not a professional podcaster by any means. I am a professional uh, by day and a podcaster when I get some time after my kids and my wife go to bed, you know, and uh, haven't really, and the biggest, and the biggest pain in the butt for me doing any type of interview as well is trying to work around other people's schedules. And I don't have the time, to be honest with you, to work around someone else's schedule to get interviews done. Um, if they say, you know, let's do the interview at nine o'clock at night because their kids just went to bed or something like that, or, you know, they're, they're too busy. Like I can't do it during the day by any means. And if it's in the evening time, I have a full schedule with soccer and dance class and singing class and piano and all that stuff for the kids, you know? And, uh, then when everyone goes to bed, usually I'll, spend some time doing research while I'm sitting on the couch watching TV and then I'll put together as much information as I can for you guys and then that's when I you know set up and go ahead and get go ahead and do the podcast and I, I really enjoy doing it it's an it's an outlet for me for the creativity and so forth and that's why I've been doing it because I really enjoy doing the podcast itself I really enjoy doing the research I, I I can't stand Democrats and I can't stand Republicans by any means but I do like the whole, you know, I, I like, I like all the controversy that goes along with it and stuff. So that's why I've been putting together the podcast every day since January. I mean, I haven't even missed a day yet, uh, which has been pretty tough, you know, especially when you have a, the flu that's that I have now. And, uh, you just try to talk yourself out of doing it. But like my wife always says, just takes the medicine power through it and you can make it happen. Uh, but yeah, I want to give these libertarians the respect they deserve. They definitely deserve it. And uh, that's what I'm, you know, without being able to do interviews and stuff, uh, you know, I'm going to make sure that I give you guys the best rollout on these candidates as well. I'm not going to be picking sides or anything like that. I've decided not to do that. Um, I'm not going to use the platform that I have to do that at this point. But once there is a libertarian candidate that's out there that's running, uh, that's been nominated and all that, then I'll definitely throw my support behind that person hopefully it's a very good person that has good ideals and stuff like that um hopefully not like another gary johnson-ish type person but somebody but I mean, i'd love to see someone that has like the the same name recognition as gary johnson just someone that maybe has a better uh understanding of libertarian principles like the first principles of libertarianism and stuff um rather than just oh yeah we're socially liberal and fiscally conservative so you know most people are like that i can't stand that uh that that presentation of libertarianism, but you know what? From about 1999 until about 2011, I felt the same way. 
So a lot of people do feel that way. So, I mean, if it speaks to the masses like that, then maybe it did bring a lot of people over to libertarianism, at least to vote libertarian. And I think that's a win as well when they get people to vote for libertarians because it lets people think themselves, maybe I could vote outside the two-party system as well. So that's sort of a win, but um, there's not a lot of people that you hear are like, like, there's no, you know how when you think about the Ron Paul moment in 2008, like there, just about every podcast that you, that you talk to, just about every uh, libertarian nowadays that you talk to, like that was their turning moment was the Ron Paul moment in 2000, what was it, 2007 with, with uh, Rudy Giuliani. And then the 2008, 2012 campaigns of Ron Paul, like that really did start a revolution in libertarian thought. It started a revolution in a lot of ways with a lot of podcasters, a lot of information about libertarianism being available to the masses as well. Um, so I've always been torn about whether you just have like the, the milk toast libertarian or if you got to have someone like Ron Paul. Uh, definitely Ron Paul turned a lot more hearts and minds towards libertarianism and getting curious about liberty and free markets and ending the Fed and all that stuff. Like the curiosity was there, whereas maybe there was um, with with like the last you know, with the, with the 2016 elections and Gary Johnson, maybe it was just a lot more people that were just voting for libertarians because, you know, like, when you get that many people to vote, maybe it was just because they were just, you know, throwing their support behind them because they were just sick of the two parties. I don't know. But at least you got people to vote outside of that. And maybe next time they'll be more willing to vote libertarian as well. I think I've said this before, though. I don't think 2020 is going to be like the libertarian moment by any means because you have so many Democrats that are just trying to get Donald Trump out of office. And you have so many people that just love Donald Trump and support him. And uh, I think that there's going to be... There's that division so strong in America that I don't know that we're going to have the ability to uh, have like, you know, two, three, four million votes or whatever this time. But I do think that the next libertarian candidate, the person that runs, uh, definitely needs to be ready to educate the public, uh, get on get onto like national TV and talk about libertarian principles and libertarian ideas and how huge and bloated the government is and that we need to start pulling those things apart and kind of call out Donald Trump for what he's done and call out the Democrats for their crazy views of, you know, all the different spending programs that they're planning and stuff like that, and how expensive they're going to be, and that's what we need is somebody that's going to do that, um, you know, and we'll find that person, I'm sure. There is, like, the Mises Caucus out there that's uh, in the Libertarian movement that, in the Libertarian Brothers, like, the Libertarian Mises Caucus, which is, like, people that are really strong, you know, true to the word Libertarians, from a conservative standpoint, I think is the way, is the way that you describe it. Um, I mean, that's, I think that's the best way to describe it. I'm not sure, but the Mises caucus, like they are the ones that are like they, a lot of them are, I don't know if you'd say they're anarcho-capitalists by any means. Um, but a lot of them, you know, sway in that direction and they they want, you know, limited government to the point where there's almost no government and possibly even no government. Um, and I don't know if you need that type of person representing the entire Libertarian Party, but I think that you'll have a lot of people moving towards that direction when they're talking on stage uh, during like the Libertarian debates and stuff, 
because of that, it's going to kind of change the, uh, I guess, the zeitgeist within the Libertarian Party, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, but maybe it'll force the party in some way to have somebody that's not so milk toast or like Gary Johnson was or somebody who just joined the Libertarian Party like yesterday you know, as the vice presidential nominee and stuff. So hopefully that's the case because I'd like to see someone that's a little bit more pure libertarian as well, but also someone that speaks very well on behalf of libertarian principles and stuff. That's that's my goal. That's what I would hope to see uh, whenever we finally find out who's going to be the libertarian nominee. Um, but yeah, I've gotten a couple of people that have sent me other candidates as well that are going to be running as libertarians. If you know of somebody that's running as a libertarian presidential candidate, please let me know so I can do some research as well. Um, reach out to me, ray at iontheempire.com. I'd love to do some research into those people. I'd love to talk to them even if I can, um, or email back and forth at least. You know, that would be easy. That would be the easiest way to do it as well. So I can kind of gather some information about those people as well. And then uh, I can present those to you or the other listeners that are out there as well. Because um, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to start a movement. And uh, the best way to do that is through information. Uh, that's what I love about podcasting. So, uh, But let me jump into a couple articles and stuff that I found. But first I wanted to tell you guys um, some of the polls and stuff like that that are going on in the Democratic primary and also on the national the national um, Democratic presidential nomination. Like you got the national polls and then you got the, the state polls. New Hampshire just had a CNN poll that came out. And it's actually showing B- Bernie Sanders winning over Elizabeth Warren. I think the last time that they did one of these polls... It was uh, pretty much a dead heat between Biden, Warren, and Sanders. But with Sanders in the lead, man, that's pretty strong over there in New Hampshire as well. If Sanders can win Iowa and then Sanders can win New Hampshire, that's strong going into uh, the beginning of these primaries. I'm pretty sure that Joe Biden is going to win South Carolina. I think that's the third state. And Joe Biden probably will win um, Nevada as well. But we'll see. I mean, Sanders might win Nevada also. He's been spending a lot of time campaigning there as well. So we'll see what happens. But Buttigieg has 10% over there in New Hampshire. Uh, he has been growing stronger over there in New Hampshire as well. But I think his his main presence is going to be in Iowa until they have their little, um, not they don't have primaries. They have like a straw poll. It's not a straw poll. It's like a, I can't remember what they call it. But um, Buttigieg has been spending a lot of time there. He has a pretty good, strong, like a good ground game there. But so does Sanders and so does Warren. Uh, Biden, by the way, is running out of money big time. Like he, I think he raised $24 million in the first quarter or the second quarter. I think it was, he raised like $24 million, but the dude's down to $9 million in his coffers right now. And that is weak when you have Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have like $35 million each in their coffers. And then Joe Biden can't raise any money. Uh, he's not going to be able to stay in there long if that's the case. And neither will these other people, though. I mean, Pete Buttigieg has a ton of money as well. He's been raising money left and right. And uh, you'll see Buttigieg, Warren, Sanders, if they have the money to keep on fighting, they will. Uh, Biden, if he only has $9 bucks, and I think he's uh, spending more than he's taking in right now, uh, that's not going to be good for him. Um, but he did set up, like he signaled, you're not allowed to set up a super PAC, but he signaled his his approval of a, of a super PAC a couple days ago, so someone set one up for him. So that's going to be able to put like millions upon millions of dollars into that super PAC with like these large donations and stuff. And uh, they're just, 
I mean that that's like the way to to get around the whole. I can't I can't raise a bunch of money from individual donors because the individual donors are only allowed to give like I can't remember what it's like two or three thousand dollars or something like that. Um, whereas a super PAC, like they can go to a corporation, they could go to individuals who are like millionaires, and that that individual could put like you know as much money as they want to into that super PAC. And then that super PAC can do lots and lots of commercials on behalf of. Um, Joe Biden, but the thing is, is Joe Biden can't like direct the super PAC. It has to be done individually by somebody else. So, uh, like, he can't even communicate with the super PAC. So, but I mean, if they're doing it on his behalf, then boom, you know that that's millions upon millions of dollars. So that might be the 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 thing that boosts Biden back up. Who knows? He is moving down in the polls in like New Hampshire, and he's moving down in the polls in. Uh, in Iowa, but he is staying pretty consistently strong in South Carolina and elsewhere also. So if you go to the national poll as well, uh, Biden's at 32%. That was the most recent poll that came out. Uh, Biden's at 32%, Warren's at 20%, Sanders is at 20% and Buttigieg is at 7%. So there hasn't been much movement in that. That was a political morning consult poll. Uh, Biden's winning by 12 points. I mean, uh, the debates are over, man. Like that debate is over and you think J- Pete Buttigieg is going to start booming because everyone says that he won the debate? Uh, Harris got a Kamala Harris got a better boost out of the first debate than Buttigieg did, did have the most recent debate. But that most recent debate in October was a snooze fest. It was boring. Couldn't stand it. Um, worse to watch than all the other ones as well. And I mean, there was no fight and there was no bicker and nobody would, nobody was taking like huge swipes at anybody else. Uh, Pete Buttigieg being like the kindest, nicest, gentlest guy in the entire world, um, trying to throw some blows was kind of you know comical to even watch in the first place. Uh, I'd like to see what happens in November. I think you're going to have a lot less people on stage. That's probably going to be good for that particular debate, where you're going to have uh, more time to get over like some real, get into some real meat and potatoes about what their plans are. But we all know what their plans are. There's nothing new that's going to come out. We all know that, you know, a few of them want Medicare for all, and you're going to force them by gunpoint to make sure that they can only have Medicare for all. Uh, you're going to have the other ones that are trying to take a, you know, a little less extreme approach and saying, oh, we're, we're for Medicare for some or whoever, who want, whoever wants it and everything else. And uh, they're all for, I mean, th- there's nothing new that's going to come out. So uh, they're all for war overseas and, you know, taking out, terrorists that are people that are labeled terrorists and stuff like that they're all for uh taxing as many people as they possibly can and demonizing the rich or anybody that makes a little bit more than anybody else so um i'm not excited about watching those debates but i will because i love y'all and i want to make sure that you guys are well informed about what's going on with the 2020 elections that's what i do it for and i do it for you all right, so let's go on and move on from that. I found an article on finance.yahoo.com, and it's uh, by, Rick, by Rick Newman on October 28th, 2019, and he says, The Democratic plan for a 42% national sales tax. Um, whoa, whoa, right? You said, whoa, Ray, are they really calling for a 42% national sales tax? Not really. Nobody is blatantly saying, like, none of the Democrats, none of the Republicans, none of the Libertarians, none of the Green Party, none of those folks that I've heard of anyway, especially on the Democratic ticket, because that's what this is all about, right? Um, None of them are saying blatantly 
we're going to have a 42% sales tax. When I get elected, I'm going to shoot for a 42% sales tax. Nobody's saying that, right? But let me get into the article and I'll, and I'll tell you a little bit more. Because what this article is basically about is uh, how are you going to pay for a $3 trillion Medicare for All plan. So it says, if you're a Democrat who supports Medicare for All, pick your poison. You can ruin your political career or destroy your party by imposing a ruinous new sales tax, a gargantuan income tax hike, or a surtax on corporate income that would wreck thousands of businesses. This is the cost of bold plans. Supporters of Medicare for All, the huge single-payer government health plan backed by Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and several other Democratic presidential candidates, say it's time to think big and move to a health plan that covers everyone. Getting there is a bit tricky, however. A variety of analysis estimates that Medicare for All would require at least $3 trillion in new spending. That's about as much tax revenue as the government brings in now. So if paid for through new taxes, federal taxation would roughly have to double. So the government takes in right around, I think, like 3.2 or $3.3 trillion. might be 3.5, I'm not sure. And I think the government spends about $4.2 trillion a year. So there's roughly a trillion-dollar deficit on top of what they're already spending, right? And then adding this to it, you'd have to have three point... So the federal budget would go up by $3 trillion, so you're going to have like a $7 trillion budget or more. Um, and if you're only taking in three point two to $3.3 trillion, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say $3.5 trillion of revenue you know, confiscated from the taxpayer, then you're going to have to figure out ways to increase the amount of money that is taken in by the government, right? They're going to have to figure out new revenues, or they're going to have to figure out new taxes in order to make that money. Because how does the government get its money? It gets it through taxes. Or it could print the money, or it could borrow the money. Those, are, That's it. That's about the only ways that the government's able to get money, right? Borrow it, tax it, or uh, print it. So, those are your choices. And then he goes on and he says, uh, The Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget has done voters a favor by spelling out what kinds of new taxes it would take to be, come up with that much money. No matter what, though, it's $3 trillion taken out of the economy and put into the government's pocket. So the assumption already is, is that the government's going to spend that money better than you are um, on your health care, essentially. So it's going to take $3 trillion out of the con economy no matter what. But this is what the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget has said. Um, it says, basically... In order to come with that three, okay, so it has to come with the three trillion dollars. So it says a 42% national sales tax, tax also known as a value-added tax, would generate about three trillion in revenue, but it would destroy the consumer spending. That's the backbone of the U.S. economy. A tax of that magnitude would be like a 42% inflation overnight, wreck, wrecking or wreaking consumer wrecking consumer budgets and the many companies that depend upon them from Walmart and Amazon to your local car dealer. If you imagine tomorrow you woke up and everything is 42% more. Costs. Everything costs 42% more. The car that you buy, the burger that you bought, um, anything that you purchase is 42% more. Yes, that's going to wreak havoc on the economy overall. Um, people are going to have less money to spend. Our Everything's going to be more expensive, so it's, gonna, it's like 42% inflation overnight. Uh, that's not... That, that's not something that Americans are going to be for, but that'll raise the $3 trillion in revenue that you need in order to um, 
in order to come up with that. So Elizabeth Warren, he says, has this two cent tax that she's proposing. <coughs> the wealth tax, you guys know it. I've talked about it before. Uh, if she says that she's going to tax 2% of the wealth, not the income, but the wealth of anybody that's uh, that's worth over $50, trillion, or $50 million, right? So that's going to be people that are like the ultra wealthy that have lot, you know, that have tons of money. Um, the thing is, is like for the, th this is the negative of a wealth tax. Picture you're somebody like picture Jeff Bezos, for example, he has, I don't know exactly what his net worth is, but let's just use a number because I think he's the richest person in the world, right? So let's say he has a hundred billion dollars net worth. It's not like that hundred billion dollars is just sitting there in cash. So if you had a wealth tax, whatever his wealth is wrapped up in, you'd have to, he'd have to sell that or some of that, 2% of it, in order to make up the you know, $2 billion, let's say, that would be 2% of his wealth. And most, almost every person that's like a business owner, especially Jeff Bezos, I'm sure, and people like you know Mark Zuckerberg, like the anyone that's founded a company, I would say 99.9% .9 of their wealth would probably be wrapped up in their their company stocks or other stocks of other companies but most likely it's you know most likely his most of his wealth is in amazon so imagine two billion dollars of amazon stock just being dumped onto the stock market every march every march because he has to pay his taxes in april so every march he dumps two billion dollars worth of stock into the stock exchange but then the other people that are members of amazon that have that much money they're dumping their stock as well to pay their 2% wealth tax and then Mark Zuckerberg is dumping 2% of his Facebook shares every year and every other company that every other company executive and every other founder of companies is doing the same exact thing every single March no matter what for in time indefinite um, you're going to have a stock market crisis worse than you know the the stock market crash in 1929 worse than the stock market crash in 1987 worse than the stock market crash that happened in 2008 like it's just the fact because you cannot have that much stock going on to the stock like that it, the more the more stock that's out there the less it's worth you know um it's supply and it's basic supply and demand if there's if there's more people trying to sell than there are people trying to buy then the stock prices are going to go down people are trying to liquidate assets at that point they would have to liquidate assets for cash to pay their taxes every single year so a, a wealth tax is just a terrible way to do it and then he also says in here that even if you took a hundred percent of the earnings of or a hundred percent of the yeah earnings of everybody that makes over four hundred thousand dollars a year so all that money over four you're not gonna have enough money made up to uh cover it nowhere even close right you'd fall way short but then again we're talking about the wealth as well and i've heard that the wealth tax is only gonna it would raise like like 200 billion dollars a year or something like that so that's less than 10 percent of the three trillion that they would need in the first place uh so they have to come up with other things as well 42 percent national sales tax uh then they said there's other options as well 32 percent payroll tax that was split between the employers and the workers 16 percent to you 16 percent to your employer that's still the fact that your employer is going to have an, an extra cost added on to their employment of you so you're gonna be less likely to have more employment you're gonna have less um money in your own pocket because they take 16 percent more of it so this i mean that money has to come from somewhere um 
Then they say, or the government can cut 80% of the spending on everything but health care, which would include highways, airports, Pentagon, or here's a good one, just borrow the money. So you could borrow it, you could tax more, or you could just cut spending. That's it. You have no other choices. There's no other choices there. So um, the one that would probably make the most sense would be a 42% sales tax, I guess. That, luckily, we don't have to worry about Medicare for all getting through. But then again, this is only an idea that's made the mainstream in about the last two years. Just think what it's going to be like in 10 years, how much they're going to be pushing for something like that the incrementalism that they've pushed forward already in 10 years, right? That's what we're always worried about as libertarians, guys. The incrementalism. That's what they're going to do. They're going to keep on pushing and pushing and pushing. And it is going to be expensive. Very, very expensive. So, um, then he says in this thing, this article, the best idea might be charging every enrollee in the new program $7,500 per year so they'd pay directly for the coverage they're getting. I don't know that I spend $7,500 a year on insurance as it is now. Um, I have no idea. I, I've never I've never really done the entire math, but that seems like an excessive amount of money. $750? That would be like $700 a month, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, I might pay that. I'm not sure, but I doubt it. I just think that when you look at this 42% sales tax, there there's just no way they're going to be able to come up with the money to pay for something like this, guys. There's no way. And these candidates are just telling people that it'll be okay. It'll be okay. When in reality, their policies are going to ruin the economy. They're going to take $3 trillion more out of the economy than, than the government already does. It's like a leviathan. It's an absolute leviathan that just comes and eats up more and more wealth, takes more and more out of the economy, while these do good do good politicians continue to promise more and more and more until everyone just has their hands out looking for something from the government is that the type of country we want to live in i don't think so libertarians um we need to be a little bit more active and more vocal in our opposition to these things um and that's it i think it was jeff diced of the mises institute i think he was on um what's that show dave smith's show uh I, I was listening to that earlier, and I, I saw him ta uh, heard them talking, and he said that the thing is, is like, Democrats and liberals, when they say they're going to do something, they're all in with it, right? They are passionate about it. They decide, we're going to do it, and they don't, and they go all in, and they go after it. Um, libertarians, and I guess conservatives, I guess, I don't know. People that are more fiscally responsible, people that demand fiscal responsibility from their government, which I'm not saying Republicans are like that. I'm not saying most conservatives are like that because they're okay with a lot of that spending. But us libertarians, we need to be all in in our opposition on these things. We need to be all in telling our friends about it as if it's like the most important thing because it's destruction of wealth and it's the fact that our kids are going to have worse lives because of this than we do. So if we care that much about it, we need to be all in on it, guys. We do. So um, I challenge you to start telling your friends about you know, the fact that these politicians are lying about the cost of something like this. $3 trillion. It's not affordable. It's not something that we should... It doesn't matter about the affordability of it, though. It doesn't matter about the affordability of it. It's something that the government should not be doing. It's not within the Constitution, first of all, that says the government needs to be taking over health care or health insurance. 
and it's definitely not something that the government can do in an efficient manner. We're going to be left in a situation where there's less innovation because more resources, all the resources may go towards protecting the status quo within the medical industry. And when I say that, what I mean is um, what we have now is what they'll start with. So if they, it's tomorrow, you woke up and Medicare for All was in place. Everything that we have now is where they're starting with, right? And anytime a new drug or a new therapy or a new machine is comes onto the market, that's like an innovative new thing, what's going to happen is you're going to have to go to Congress to get them to approve it. You want Congress to be in charge of innovation, moving forward with innovation? Is that what you want? No, absolutely not. Because it becomes a bureaucratic headache at that point. You have to get yourself into a bill. You're going to have so many new lobbyists up there trying to make sure that things, you know, trying to push their their little, you know, new tool or the new innovation, which a lot of those innovations are probably great things. A lot of those innovations are probably miracle cures. But it's going to be impossible to get them through. It's going to be the politically well-connected that get their stuff through. Is that the type of medical system we want to depend upon? The status quo is protected at that point. New innovation goes away. And ultimately, everything depends upon, at that point, trying to figure out fiscally how they're going to pay for that stuff. And it's going to become a budget issue. And they're going to start cutting down this or taking away this care. Um, limiting care, rationing care. It's just, that's the that's just the way government does things. You know, there's no profit motive. There's no incentive for them to do better. But you know what? We can just, you know, hope and pray, right? We could just talk about it as if it's going to be utopia one day. Or you and I can get out there and tell our friends about... Um, better ways of doing things, more liberty, more freedom, more individual responsibility, and uh, less depend dependency upon government. That's what we need to do. We need to go after it like like liberals went after gay marriage or something. I think that's, what, that's the um, term that Jeff Dice used or something was that. But I mean, that's the fact that they did. Like it was, they were all in from like the eighties, and you know it got through. And I'm all for it. I don't, I don't think anyone should be, you know, honestly, I don't think the government needs to be recognizing marriage in the first place. That's between you and whoever you decide to marry. Um, that's between you and God or whoever you decide to get married in front of. If you're a guy or a girl or, or a guy and a guy or whatever, you know. Um, but they went after it and they got it, and that's what we need to do. We need to go after limited government with passion make it happen okay and uh that's what i challenge you guys to do hey i appreciate you joining me on this show every single day monday through friday uh, i will be putting out this show every day until november 2020 and i'm not or yeah november what is it 7th 2020 i ain't gonna stop y'all i ain't gonna stop um i enjoy doing this i enjoy doing it way too much so uh Thank you all those that continue to email me and stuff, Ray at IonTheEmpire.com. You can also um, check me out, I am the Empire on Facebook and on Twitter. You can message me through there as well. I really enjoy seeing those messages. Uh, I'm going to bring in you guys some libertarian candidates soon as well. And, uh, yeah, so check me out on those things as well. If you want to support the show, you can do that. And uh, you can do that by going to anchor.fm slash ion2020. You can also go to the um, website that I have, IonTheEmpire.com. And there you can go ahead and uh, look at the, you know, the uh, support page as well. So thank you for joining me and uh, come on back tomorrow so you can have clear vision for 2020.